If I could please have everybody stand up. Take your right hand, place it over your heart, and face towards the flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Amen. You may be seated. You know, it, it's sad because that used to be how we started off our days in school. That, that pledge to our, to our flag, that symbol of our nation. And today, or this weekend, I should say, we celebrate Independence, July 4th, the birth of our nation. Not June 19th or anything else that the revisionists would have us to believe, but this July 4th. 1776, you look at our flag, and it's not just a bunch of colors and stripes and stars that were thrown together, but it's symbolism, and it means something. The white was the purity as the birth of our nation and the purity of God. The red, the red, the blood that was spilt so that we can enjoy the freedoms that have been given to us. We can have the freedom of religion. That's why so many came to this country in the first place. The stars, not just representing the states, but in a field of blue representing honor. In other words, we are to look each time to remind us of the heavens up above and the God who has blessed this nation. And there's rules and etiquette when it comes to our flag. Do you realize there's only one other flag that can go ahead and is to be the same level? That's the Christian flag. That's it. Every other one is to bow down. Every other one is to be a little bit lower. And our White House goes ahead and takes a rainbow flag and throws that and gives, exalts that. Take back the rainbow. The rainbow was God's promise to each and every one of us. Amen? So last year I gave you the history lesson. I'm not going to do that again this year. <laughs> but... Know that even though America does still have many problems, she is one of the greatest countries on the face of the earth. And one of the reasons why is because of our godly heritage. The fact that settlers came here pursuing that religious freedom. That the founding fathers were Christians, not deists, but Christians. And so many of our modern-day Christians that live here now and our laws are even based off of those Judeo-Christian foundings. Those incorporated ten commandments that God gave us. God greatly valued freedom. Now, not the freedom that we have today that thinks that, oh, well, I'm free to go ahead and do anything that I please. That's not the freedom that God gave us. And he won't violate each and every one of our free will. Even to the point of letting us go to hell. I'd like to read a quote to you from Daniel Webster, one of our founding fathers. He says, Finally, let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers were brought hither by their high veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed by its light and labored in its hope. 
they sought to incorporate its principles with the elements of their society and to diffuse its influence throughout the institutions, civil, political, and literary. Let us cherish these sentiments and extend this influence still more widely in full conviction that that is the happiest society which partakes in the highest degree of the mild and peaceful spirit of Christianity. You know, I've lived in other countries in both the military and on missions trips. And I can tell you, this is the greatest country, bar none, on God's green earth. And one of the reasons why I believe it has such greatness is because of each and every one of you. You see, it's great because of the godly men and women that stood up and fought. We weren't willing to lay down for taxation without representation. Think about it. Over two cents, we were ready to go to war. Have you looked at a gas pump lately? <laughs> we weren't letting a tyrant, thousand miles away to rule over us. Our colonies were ready to govern themselves. We were warriors. But I wonder if we haven't lost some of the warrior in us to a four-letter word called fear. Once there was a young warrior, his teacher told him that he would have to do battle with fear. He didn't want to do that. It seemed too aggressive. It was scary. It seemed unfriendly. But the teacher said that he had to do it and gave him the instructions for battle. The day arrived. The student warrior stood on one side and fear stood on the other. The warrior was feeling very small and fear was looking very big and wrathful. They both had their weapons. The young warrior roused himself, went towards fear, prostrated himself three times and asked, may I have permission to go into battle with you? Fear said, thank you for showing me such respect that you ask permission. The young warrior said, how can I defeat you? Fear replied, my weapons are that I talk fast and loud. I get very close and in your face. And when you get completely unnerved, you do what I say. If you don't do what I tell you, I have no power. You can't listen to me. You can, or you can listen to me. And you can have respect for me. You can even be convinced by me. But if you don't do what I say, I have no power. In that way, the student warrior learned how to defeat fear. I believe as Christians, we worry too much. We get anxious. And quite honestly, we fear. We fear telling somebody about Jesus or our testimony. We fear what others will think about us if we, they know that, oh, we're a Christian. We fear what will happen if we call somebody out on their sin. In our story, our warrior learned how to defeat fear. Just don't give it any power. Have you ever heard what the acronym for fear is? It stands for false evidence appearing real. Romans 8.31 states, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We have the God who created the universe on our side. So when someone pushes sin in your face, don't fear that, uh, what they're going to do. Don't let fear unnerve you. Instead, my fellow warriors, 
fight back and let's not let evil prosper. If you remember last week, Jesus left our Pharisees and I'd say their feathers were just a little bit ruffled. He called a spade a spade. He called the Pharisees hypocrites and like graves which are not seen and men walk over them. Jesus called them out on giving men burdens hard to bear, yet they themselves were not able or willing to keep those laws. Again, hypocrites. We spoke about the 613 Levitical laws created by man, not God, and how they were enforced by the Pharisees. And then they marveled and they got upset when Jesus wasn't having any of that. He sits down to eat, not washing his hands, and he calls them on it. Well, as they say, I think Jesus was just getting warmed up (laughs) because we're going to see today he continues to rail on the Pharisees. What do you think he's going to call them? Maybe hypocrites again? (laughs) Again, this is where I marvel to us Christians who say we need to be more tolerant. No, we need to call sin, sin, and not try to whitewash it or water it down. You know, there used to be a time very much in this nation where you do you and I'll do me and we'll live peacefully together. But it's changed. It's changed so much so that here it is, we're gone from tolerance to acceptance. In other words, being forced to accept whatever the latest sin is that the world is trying to force down our throats. Folks, if it's in God's word, then we need to stand upon it. Call it out and not roll over and play dead, or j- but push back. You know, there was a podcast that I listened to recently, and it had a former Navy SEAL, Jocko Wilnick, and he made a very profound statement. They were talking specifically about Memorial Day and those that served, and he said this, if good men don't stand up and fight, evil will prosper. Now, he was speaking in a very worldly manner, specifically about terrorism and the evil that supports it. However, I believe he was spot on regarding our faith and Christianity. If we don't stand up and fight, evil is going to prosper. Remember, I gave that analogy last week about the closet, stating that it was the light. And who was the light of the world? Jesus. Yes. That Jesus, the light of the world, dispels darkness, not the other way around. Jesus calls out sin today in a big way. And he doesn't let up on our Pharisees. Now, he wasn't thinking to himself, oh, well, what if they don't like me? Or how am I going to win them over to the gospel? He doesn't do that at all. He does not worry about that at all. Jesus calls evil out where it lies, be that whether in common people or religious alike. Folks, we need to be more like Jesus, calling out sin in this country. Amen? So today, we're going to be looking at Jesus as he calls out hypocrisy. And it's not man or man's laws that we should fear, but fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. The title of today's message is Fear Him. Would you pray with me? Precious Heavenly Father, it is right to fear you. Lord, you created the universe. And as such, Lord, you can take away each and any one of our lives at a moment's notice. But Lord, with the time that you've given us here on this earth, we pray that we would be good stewards. We pray 
that we would not give in to hypocrisy. We pray that you would allow us to be bold in calling out sin, just as you modeled in your son, Jesus Christ. So dear Jesus, speak to us today. I pray, Lord, that as we delve into your word, you would etch these scriptures upon our heart. And God, if there's anything of man, let it fall upon deaf ears. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. So if there's anybody who needs a Bible, go ahead and just raise your hand and one of the ushers will come around and give him. We're going to be starting off in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Luke chapter 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, if you remember last week where we left Jesus, here it was, he had angered the Pharisees and they jumped all over him. They started yelling at him. He was being thronged from all sides. They were trying to get him to trip up, to say something, and so that they could go ahead and pin that on him. But even as the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes, and all the religious leaders tried to trip Jesus up, the common people still flocked to him. So it was at this point that he gives them two warnings about the perils of popularity. Continuing, first of all, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The first danger to watch out for when things seem to be going well in your life in your business, in your family, your ministry, is hypocrisy. And that brings us right to our first point. Beware hypocrisy. Beware hypocrisy. Now, we get the word hypocrisy from the Greek word hypocrisis, and it refers to the actors in the Greek theater who wore masks in order to identify their characters. Jesus likens his mask wearers to leaven because although it might seem insignificant at first, it becomes puffed up eventually. Now, what does leaven represent in the Bible? Sin, yes, exactly. So we see Jesus calling out the sin of hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Now, leaven was the yeast that they used in baking their bread. And what they would do is they'd place a little bit of that leaven into the bread. Now, it's actually a fermenting process that's happening. So, actually, rotting or the uh, rotting of the lemon, leaven or the yeast that causes the rot to, to make these little bubbles of air uh, which puff up the bread. And all you need is a little leaven in order to leaven the whole lump of dough that whole lump will be putrefied or fermented by just that little piece of lemon. Bread doesn't sound so appetizing when you put it that way, does it? So they had what they called starters, like with a a sourdough. They would take that little piece, they would hold on to it for the next day's type of bread, and then go ahead and mix it into the bread in order to leaven the whole lump. You know, Paul warns about leaven in the church. In Galatians 5, verse 9, he says, A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Therefore, purge sin out of your lives. That leaven, that sin. Jesus is warning here of the leaven of the Pharisees, and which is, as he said, hypocrisy. And it's amazing how hypocrisy can spread. Just a little bit. Hypocrisy has that effect of rotting and spreading. 
verse 2. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So after identifying the danger of hypocrisy, Jesus goes on and speaks of the unreasonableness of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is foolish because truth eventually comes out. Numbers 32 verse 23 states, But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Now, this isn't because God is trying to track us down, but it's because our sin itself will. You know, the same is true for righteousness. You guys remember when we talked about the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter was like, oh Lord, let us build three tabernacles. And he gets a smackdown from heaven itself, from God, right? You see, Jesus shone on the Mount of Transfiguration because he was light. Who was the light of the world? Jesus. So the real miracle of the transfiguration was not that Jesus was shining. The real miracle is that his humanity was able to conceal his divinity for so long. Indeed, what's inside of a person, it eventually comes out. Verse 4. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So continuing, Jesus speaks of the cause of hypocrisy, which is fear. Now, although we usually think of hypocrisy in the terms of people who like pretend to be Christians, but they're really not, I think there's a more subtle form of hypocrisy that's seen in Christians who think they'd better tone it down. Fear of their witness might be thought of as too spiritual or religious. Don't worry about people, Jesus says. Instead, fear the one whose eye is on you constantly. The realization that God is with you is the cure for hypocrisy. And that brings us to our second point. God is with you. God is with you. Now, this should be an assurance as well as maybe a little bit of angst for some of you. Assurance because even in our darkest hours, he is there with us. But when we sin, ooh, I hope you didn't see that. He did. And Jesus says, fear him. Can God remove us from this world at any time in the blink of an eye? Yeah. Now, not that I'm changing scripture, but I think that we should look at it in this way. Not just fear him, which we should, but we should have a healthy fear of God. Just like children should have a healthy fear of their parents. And we should have a healthy fear of our governments. I believe one of the biggest problems in law enforcement today is there isn't that healthy fear anymore that our gangbangers and thugs get arrested and before I'm even finishing paperwork, they're out the front door. You see, however, if judges and legislators, legislation that actually had some teeth to it was written, it would keep our streets that much safer. You see, suspects, they don't respect or fear law enforcement. 
The bad guys flee from the police. They do, police, they do 100 miles an hour down the freeway. They run a red light and they kill an innocent family. And then it's the officer's fault for pursuing them. See, when I was growing up, there was always a healthy fear of law enforcement. Yes, they were somebody that you could go to when you needed help. Romans 13.4 states, for he, meaning the police officer, is God's minister for you to do good. See, but law enforcement was also somebody that you feared if you were doing something wrong. Because it continues in verse 4, but if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Regarding our Lord, it should be the same way. When we are obedient to his commandments, he's there for our good. But if we sin, yes, he is a God of mercy and grace. But there are also consequences for our actions. Be afraid. Fear him, that healthy fear, because he has the power to cast into hell. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I love when Jesus speaks like this because first he says, fear him, but then he uses a contrasting message, do not fear. Now, I don't want to beat a dead horse, or in this case, five sparrows, but if we are being obedient to his word, we have nothing to fear. Jesus uses the examples of sparrows being sold for two copper coins. This would have been the smallest denomination in circulation at that time, and it would have been about a sixteenth of a person's wages. If these sparrows, quite lowly on the rung of life, are not forgotten, then God will not forget you either. Verse 8. Also, I say to you, whoever confesses me before man, him the Son of Man also will confess. The Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels and of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. So two points with this passage. First, in verse 9 he says, But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. This should strike fear into each and every one of our hearts. How many times have we denied Jesus? in our thoughts, in our actions, in what we did or didn't say. When the Spirit prompts you, go tell them that Jesus loves you, and you don't. Did we just deny our Lord before men? God, help us to be stronger. Help us to put the fear where it belongs. Not before men, but before you. Now, the second element in the cure for hypocrisy is confession. I want to encourage each and every one of you, when you begin a new job, you move to a new neighborhood, you enroll in a new school, go on record from day one. Let people know you are a believer. Confess Jesus to men. Notice what it says in verse 10. <clears throat> and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But to him who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. First of all, that's how good of a God we have. Anyone 
whosoever speaks a word against Jesus, he's good to be forgiven. That's it. Except for which sin? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy is the act of cursing, slandering, reviling, or showing contempt, or lack of reverence for God. And this begs the question, if someone says that they're a Christian and they're cursing and slandering and reviling God, is that the fruit of a Christian? No. And that's where you really have to question where their heart lies. In the Old Testament, blaspheming God was a serious crime punishable by death. Leviticus 24, verse 15 and 16. Then you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin, and whoever blasphemies the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Yet today you hear so many men using the G it like a punchline, like an explanation point at the end of every other sentence. Next time somebody does that, call them out. Oh, are you a Christian? I thought you must be since you were invoking God's name so much. <laughs> See, blasphemy was also a violation of the third commandment, which required that the name and reputation of our Lord be upheld. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. By the Jews' bitter opposition to Jesus and the gospel, Paul says that they themselves were guilty of blasphemy. Acts 18, verse 5, When Silas and Timothy had come to Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him he, and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. See, this is the one sin that will not be forgiven. And as such, we shouldn't take it lightly. Verse 11. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Have you ever been there? Have that ever happened to you? Let's say that somebody shares with you a difficult situation that they're going through. So you say to them, let's pray. Now, first of all, that's one of the best things that we can do for our hurting brothers and sisters is pray. But then as you pray, the words, uh, the scripture just kind of rolls off your tongue. And at the end of the prayer, you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> from God, the Holy Spirit. See, and God will give you the power, what needs to be said, if we just let the Holy Spirit guide, direct, and teach us in that very hour. Verse 13, then one of the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge and or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Do you remember that bumper sticker that was going around for a while? He with the most toys wins. Yeah. Then I love it because somebody got smart and it said, he with the most toys wins nothing. But I love this. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus in essence says, 
not my monkeys, not my circus. <laughs> you see, it wasn't that Jesus didn't care about this man, but he refused to enter into a dispute over money, which is clearly and which was dividing this man's family. Those kinds of disputes over money destroy relationships. I've seen it in my family, and I'm sure some of you have in yours. Although the ministry can often become stuck in an attempt to do right, uh, to, excuse me, an attempt to right wrongs, Jesus wisely says, this is not my area of concern, for his purpose was not to make bad men good or good men better. His purpose was to make dead men live, to see people born again and brought into the kingdom. And that brings us to our third and our final point. Bring someone into the kingdom. Bring someone into the kingdom. In addition to hypocrisy, another danger to be aware of in a day of prosperity is covetousness. I've heard the confession of every conceivable sin among men, one priest said, except the sin of covetousness. People feel bad about immorality, about lying, about swearing. But when was the last time they ever cried over the sin of covetousness? What is covetousness? Simply wanting more of that which we already have enough. And Jesus said that sin is the one that we must be careful. So what does Jesus do? He tells a story. He tells a parable explaining the danger of focusing on wealth. Verse 16. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. You see, the, the true tragedy of this parable is not that the rich man left behind, but the judgment that waited for him that he would enter into heaven without any ev evidence of a wise stewardship here on earth. You know, this is something that Dave and I spoke about in our last podcast. You see, we can invest in our 401ks. We can invest in stocks and bonds. And at the end of each month, we'll get a letter stating how our portfolio stands. We can invest in our homes, paying down the mortgage and doing home improvements. And in time, we'll receive the equity that is in our homes. But when you help a fellow brother or sister in Christ, they call you up requesting comforting, in an hour of need, and you're there for them? Or somebody from the church who needs to move, you load up your truck, you grab a bunch of people, and you head out, and you get them taken care of. See, come the end of the month, there's not a statement, there's not a letter from heaven that we get that says, congratulations, you've stored up this many crowns in heaven. But let me ask you a question. What is it that you are storing up? Riches on this earth can eat, be eaten by moth. Rust will devour. Or are we laying up treasures 
that are rich towards God. Let's all spend some time evaluating our actions and ensuring we are leaving wise stewardship on earth that pays dividends in heaven. Okay, now we're going to get into a subject that I know nobody in here struggles with. The heading in my Bible is, do not worry. I have to say, I think Bobby McFerrin, back in the 80s, had it right. Don't worry, be happy. Let's see what our Lord has to say about this. Verse 22. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouses nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? God has given us things not to possess, but to enjoy. The birds sing because they don't have to pay taxes, work on their wardrobes, or even paint their houses. They simply enjoy what God gives. But do we do the same? Verse 25. And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubic to his stature? If that was the case, I would be over six feet tall instead of hobbit-sized like I am. Verse 26. If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which is in the field, to, field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. I think that's the key. Oh, you of little faith. You see, if we are really, I mean truly trusting in God, then why are we anxious? But Adam, I just got fired from my job. And God probably has a better one for you. But Adam, there's more month at the end of my money. Have you ever gotten that check in the mail? You're wondering how you're going to go ahead and pay the bills. And it was something that you weren't expecting. And it was either exactly for the amount that you needed or more? Yeah. See, I'm not alone. God is good. And if he cares about sparrows and lilies, then why do we worry? Why do we become anxious when times get a little challenging in our lives? Because we're not putting our faith and our trust in God. Verse 29. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Don't worry about what to eat, drink, or wear. God knows that you have need of these things. He's not out to restrict you. His purpose is to liberate you now and eternally. Verse 32. Do not fear, little flock, for this is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Think about that just a little bit. You know, we just got back from surf camp, and I used this analogy with some of the kids. I said, let's say that Donald Trump, the former president, calls you up and says, look, this is huge. <laughs> I want to adopt you, bigly. 
Now you are part of his family. You are a brother or sister to Baron, his son. You get to ride around in a bulletproof limousine. You have the Secret Service who is protecting you. You get to live in a resort mansion in Mar-a-Lago, Florida. Everything he has is yours. Sounds pretty incredible, yes? But all this pales. This can't even compare to what is waiting for us in heaven. Do you realize in Revelation it says that we are going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ? Anybody like horses? Guess what? Revelation's 19. We are going to come back riding on white horses. Yes, there's animals in heaven. And it says that Jesus is going there to prepare a mansion for us. Not a Trump-sized Mar-a-Lago mansion, but one that he's been preparing for the past 2,000 years. Now, I don't know about you all, but I think I could put together a pretty nice mansion after a year or two. Think about the one that he's going to give to each and every one of us after 2,000 years of preparation. <clears throat> it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. But there's a catch. We have to take it. The father runs to us. He puts a ring on our fingers, signifying that we are now family. He puts the finest coat on us. But we need to humble ourselves, ask for forgiveness, come before him, and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. That's it, precious people. And he is good to give us the kingdom. Verse 33. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide for yourself money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What a great place to wrap up today. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know where my treasure is here on earth? With each and every one of you. Yes, you can be a stiff-necked bunch, but so can I. My treasure is in this incredible church family and my personal family, each and every one of my sons and daughters who are walking with our Lord. My wife, who loves me after 31 years and still laughs at my jokes. No, most of them. <laughs> <laughs> you see, my storehouses are overflowing. Where's your treasure? Is it in your job, your car, your bank accounts? A treasure in heaven does not fail. Neither will our God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we can put aside the angst, we can put aside the worry when we truly understand and take into our hearts that statement that I just made, that you will not fail. God, the world is going to fail us. Our family is going to fail us. But you, Jesus, will never fail us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for the gifts that you've given. Thank you for the fact that when we accepted you, we were granted 
and graft it into your family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, we come before you today and we just pray. Lord, let us take some of the scripture. Let us live some of the scripture. Let it not just be a bunch of words on a page, but instead a motivation for the rest of our lives. Dear Jesus, we can never thank you enough for the blessings given. And it is in your precious heavenly name that we pray. Amen.